Hello, and welcome to Core Women. My name is Dr. Summer Watson, and I'm the founder of Core Women, and I'm also an empowerment strategist for women. So if you're listening to this podcast to delve more into empowerment strategies, well, you're here for the right reason. However, Core Women was also developed because it's a special place that provides a unique idea of home for the hearts and souls of women. It's a place for us to share our strength, energy, wisdom, and authenticity. It's a place for women to find support and strategic empowerment ideas that will help support their lives. Today on the show, I would like to welcome Sejal Thacker, who is the founder and chief civility officer of Train Extra. Sejal was born and raised in Chicago, Illinois. She graduated with honors from the University of Illinois at Chicago and cum laude from Northern Illinois College of Law. After moving to Northern California's San Francisco Bay Area in 2000, Sejal has gained extensive experience in employment law. Let's get right into your story, Sejal, and welcome. Oh, thank you so much, Summer. I'm humbled by this opportunity and really grateful for, for for your time today and just letting me talk to you about some of these issues that are really important to me. Um, So yeah, you know, as you mentioned, I'm an employment lawyer and I've been practicing strictly employment law since about 2003. Um, And I've worked on all kinds of cases related to the workplace, but the ones that really sort of impacted me the most were, you know, the ones that dealt with sexual harassment or some sort of inappropriate touching or, or sexual overtures or some kind of demeaning behavior or abusive behavior in the workplace. And these cases really just resonated with me because, you know, I grew up in a small town in Chicago, a suburb of Chicago called Elmwood Park. And my family, we were the, we were like the only Indian family in that town when I grew up there. And, you know, so it was a typical immigrant story. My parents had the accent. Uh, I had the darker skin um, and they owned the convenience store. So it just happened to be across from the elementary school. So you can imagine um, I went through some bullying or harassing discriminatory behavior growing up. So it always, you know, th- those types of cases as I was sort of litigating in court really hit home with me. And then you take that and then you, you every, you know, whether I was talking to an employee or a manager, when I would ask them basic things like, why did you do this? Or why didn't you do that? It became really obvious to me that there was just not good training out there, people just really, you know, I think most people, I mean, if you think about it, it's sad. A lot of us spend so much time um, at work. I mean, sometimes more than we do with our loved ones at home. And so I was running into people that I thought were really like good people and they were showing up to work to do work hard, to solve problems, to be part of a team. But then there was like this behavior that was going on that really distracted them from being successful, you know, and, and interfering with them being able to do their best. So it it became a personal sort of mission of mine. And then um, I worked at UCSF Medical Center. And there I really started learning about, you know, unconscious bias and started looking back at all the cases I worked on. And I was like, wow, a lot of these cases were treating them as harassment cases or discrimination cases and really started to question about whether it was a result of some microaggression or that type of behavior where if we knew more about it, if people understood it more, you know, and, and knew how to handle those types of situations that maybe we don't need to just, you know, wait around until something rises to the level of being legally actionable in court in order to help an organization. So trying to get ahead of the ball and right. not waiting until 
So, yeah, so that's kind of what I've been doing, and that's where I'm at now. Well, let me take you back a few steps, because I do want to go back to your upbringing in Chicago and what that was like for you as a little girl and, and how you dealt with that and how that might have impacted you and maybe have driven your passion for the law and your decision to start your own business eventually. So let's go back to Chicago and, and talk about those experiences. Talk about how you handled it and what kind of support you may or may not have had. Sure. I mean, you know, Summer, it was really, it was difficult because there really wasn't much support, to be honest with you, because, you know, my parents, I mean, I, I, I was in my mom's belly when they moved here from India. So, okay. you know, they, they literally got here and just had to start working right away, barely spoke English, you know, right. and so here we are and um, they are expecting us to live according to their kind of cultural norms and upbringing and lifestyle that they're used to. And not, you know, not to say it was a bad thing, because that's totally normal for what, what they've grown up with. Right. And then yet we're thrown into this American sort of culture, and we want to be a part of that. Um, so just in and of itself, just moving here and being born here in that way created a lot of, you know, sort of frustration that I was growing up. Right. Um, and, and really no support, to be honest with you. There's, really? you know, you, you have American friends from school that you're, you're trying to be friends with and fit in with, and, and, they, and they can understand certain aspects of it, but then you live, and you're kind of living two lives almost as you're right. growing up. Right. And did you feel like your parents, based on the culture, their culture, they were, they were supportive or they did the best that they could to say, you know what, just get past it. It's going to be okay. I think they, I, I think now looking back on it, you know, as an adult and, and living life, um, um, I would say they did, they did the best that they knew how to, you know, it, it, it may not have been the way that, for example, I'm raising my son now and kind of the expectation that I had being here in the American culture, sort of what parenting should look like, you know, but in their minds and the way that they were raised, you know, they provided for us financially, they gave us a roof over our head and they were there for us when we needed, you know, in, right. in their minds, that was the right way. So they did the best that they could. Um, I think, you know, I was the oldest in my family. And so, you know, I was the oldest, I was a female, um, you know, I, I dealt with a lot of things internally, but also found found that I was actually, you know, able to be resilient towards it. And I always had a positive sort of way at looking at things because I believe that people are good people, mostly you know, inherently good people. And and so I, I never was one of those people that held things against others because they treated me a certain way. Uh, and I was able to see the other side of it, but it didn't make it easy, obviously. You know, well, it, it never made it easy. Right. Well, let me ask you, because I've had this conversation with other folks as well, and it's almost like I, I get what you're saying about living two lives because you want to blend in, you want to acculturate, you want to, you, but at the same time, you hold your own standards, values, and beliefs. And do you feel like, mm -hmm. like there was some kind of like, almost like this imposed like Stockholm syndrome where you kind of sympathize or align with those folks, you know, to kind of fit in? How did you overcome that? Because like you said, you didn't hold on to anger, but you did try and rise above it and kind of learn from those experiences. Mm -hmm. and, and my other question is, did you come out of that with any faulty beliefs at all? So sometimes it's like, oh yeah, we just, you know, we just have to understand that or we have to, you know, we have to do this to get on, you know? So what are your thoughts? Well, I, I, 
And great questions, by the way. Um, I, I think, you know, as I was growing up, I, 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 the way that I describe how I got through it to people, because I get asked this question a lot, um, and it, it's more about, you know, I, 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 to my core, I, was, I felt that I just remained open to everybody, um, even, you know, and, and this is like throughout my life, I can tell you stories of other situations and that if somebody, I, I feel like a normal person might've gone through it, they would have came out just hating the kind of person that put them through that, um, where I come out and I'm like, all right, but that doesn't mean there isn't anger and frustration and disappointment and hurt, all of that, but, right. but being able to remain open regardless of not characterizing that person and putting them in a bucket to say, okay, I'm gonna stereotype because this one person who is, got this trait, did this to me. Now everybody who's got that trait is out to get me. I just never looked at it that way. I just said, okay, this was one bad seed, <laughs> you right. know, and I'm not gonna punish the rest of everybody else because this one person wasn't able to manage themselves in the way they probably should have, you know. Um, but the other part of it too was always kind of um, believing that, mo you know, what draws people together is our our similarities. And I think we, we get so caught up in the conversation about, you know, we're diverse and why we're so different that we forget that we have more similarities and to focus the conversation on that rather than the differences. It's easier to sort of survive, I think. Um, yeah. And so I always walk into environments just kind of looking for those similarities rather than, oh, this is how we're different. Right. So, and I love that answer. I absolutely love that answer because I think you're absolutely right about how we really have switched to this area where we're looking for differences. And really, I like that you pointed out there's more similarities. And really, if we focused on that, there might be more of a, a coming together rather than a division. And I think, and I think just if you, you know, and if you just frame it this way, so we know about affinity bias, like normally we're, right. we're drawn to people that look like us, that think like us. So, so there's that bias. And so I just, for me to survive it would be to walk into every situation with what are the similarities that all of us in this room have, not just me because I look like this person or me because I talk like this person, but just looking at everybody with that mentality or like I'm looking for this. And just growing up, though, it, it was so beneficial to me because literally I can show you hundreds of pictures of my friends throughout the years growing up to this day. I mean, the colors of the rain, you know, like everybody, right. it's like it's never like okay, here's all the Indians or here's all the, you know, my white friends and my black friends. No, it was just, there's a, one of each usually in all of the right. pictures. Yeah, that's just kind of how I was able to cope. I like what you're, what you're saying here because it really has value. And, and I think a lot of times too, um, Sage Out, is that we have this learned and innate ability to get along in community. And some of us just have it within us to say, you know, there's something positive that will come out of this. Right. You know, there's a lesson sure. to be learned. And so getting back to, cause this kind of ties in with what you do today. How did you are, you are obviously a high achiever. You've done so much. How did this and your foundation, how you've grown up maybe contribute to being a lawyer, to doing what you do. And can you explain what a chief civility officer is? Sure, sure. Um, I think it, it's interesting because, to be honest with you, I never thought about having my own business in my whole life. I never really considered that 
that was never a goal of mine because my family grew up having their own businesses. And so if anything, I was like, no, too much. I'm never going to get away from it. Too much responsibility. I really don't want to take that on kind of mentality. So I was against it. Um, But, you know, being a lawyer, that was something I knew right from the beginning. Everybody was like, you are going to be a lawyer. This was like when I was seven years old. Everyone's like, you always debating everything. And my dad, dad, when he was in India, started law school, never finished it. And just everybody was like, you are going to be the lawyer. You always are one of those people. So that I already knew going in. But to be honest, how employment law kind of fell into my lap. I didn't even take an employment law class while I was in law school. Um, and so it fell into my lap, but I immediately was, I, I just felt this was an area where even though I was a defense attorney, I felt more of a conflict resolution person. And I felt that in that arena, I was able to assist employees and, and employers because there was vulnerabilities on both sides. Um, and so I often found myself actually educating people (laughs) rather and solving most of my cases, resolving them. Um, just in the effort to help resolve the conflict. So I would spend a lot of time in that conflict resolution mode, um, also teaching people and training them on what they would do. And I found that it was powerful. It, it really does. I, you know, when, you, when, when I think about what I do, I'm just walking into a room of people that are all, you know, that are there, they're there to work because we all have to work. We spend a lot of time there and what we want is for people to understand how to respond in certain situations. And it's all about communication and how you react to a situation. And, and I just found that people just don't know in the workplace. You know, a lot of times they're, they're in these horrible situations. And a lot of times they're, they're working for an organization that's focused in on compliance or clean prevention, but not really focusing on the root cause, which is what you have to do is to focus on a culture of respect and civility. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't, you can't, it's like trying to address a problem, but not really getting to the actual cause of the problem. And that's why it hasn't worked so far. And so I, I, when I started my company two years ago, it was literally about a month after the Me Too movement happened. And all of a sudden, everyone started making it a big deal where it, it was kind of this perception that, oh, now it's a serious issue. And I'm thinking, wait a second. This has been a serious issue long before the media got onto it. And right. I wanted to really just sort of align what I've gone through growing up and my passion. And it was just the right timing of everything. And I just said, I'm going to go for it. And it was that it was literally, I turned 44 and I was like, okay, it's uh, 43. Sorry, it was 43. And I'm like, this is it. Do it or, you know, make the change follow it. And it was a, it was a big risk for me because I, right. I hadn't been thinking about it. And then it's just been, it's been such a wonderful journey. I mean, I, I'm really glad that I get to make a little bit of a difference for people. Um, Absolutely. And how did you, you know, because each, each organization, whether it's nonprofit, for-profit has their own culture, right? Yeah. And so sure. how, how do you get the folks that are working for the organization to align their visions or purpose and how can the two coincide in a healthy and supportive way? So, you know, I, I mean, obviously what I do is just one piece. I focus in on training. I do workplace investigations. And mm-hmm. all of those, these pieces are part of the holistic solution, right? So right. I have a limited role where I come in. But when I'm dealing with management in these organizations, 
a lot of my conversation is about kind of helping them see all the different pieces so that they can start evaluating those areas and making sure that they're not just focusing in on one area. So I, I do have conversations with them about, you know, these are the different areas that you want to go into. And, you know, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, they came out with this 95-page report and. I believe it was June of 2016, that really goes into this harassment issue okay. in detail. It gives employers checklists and it tells them exactly what they need to be looking at. I mean, it's, it's the ground, it's basically my business plan, you know, so right. I walk them through these things and then, they, and then I'm just in there for my limited piece, but then sort of equip them with, and then it's really up to management and leadership to really make it, make a commitment to doing that. So no, that, and that's, I, that's, that's, and I get that. And it's, and it's really interesting because I kind of align it with, you know, having worked in the clinical field and, and I worked um, in Sacramento and I would get patients in these, in this locked facility that I worked at, it was a county-based facility and I would get these patients, these children, and I would assess them. And like you, you want to do like this full range assessment is, multi-level, it's multifactorial, and you want to look at all the different components that helps with this person's functioning, just like you would, you know, align that with like a company, so to speak, right? And I do Absolutely. think these are the issues. Now I'm going to send, now I'm going to send this person, this child back into the home. Yes, I'm going to mm -hmm. help provide some resources, but how do I minimize the recidivism here? Because how's the family going to function? Yeah. We've tried to quote unquote fix this youngster, but we're throwing them back into the same culture, so to speak, the same family dynamic. So when I look at what you're doing, I think it's really important. It really is important, but how do these managers grasp that and take that back into, into their company and go, I can do this. Do you take them through a step-by-step -step process so that they can actually put these things into action? I think we can both agree that most people when they're at work, right? And yeah. whether we're being harassed ourselves or we see someone else being harassed, I think most people, you know, they want to do something about it. Um, and, and, but they just don't know what the realistic response should look like. Right. And, and then you, you add on top of that, the fact that almost everybody is afraid that if they get involved, that they're going to suffer some kind of retaliation. I sure. mean, you know, the statistics are what three out of three out of four people, 75% of people who have gone through some kind of harassment in the workplace, they're afraid of reporting it for a number of different reasons. Right. And yeah. so it's like, what we need to do is to be employers need to start not waiting for it to get to be harassment because right for right now where we are our fair employment and housing act outlines a variety of different protected characteristics that are protected but if you don't belong to one of those like one of the ones i get all the time is i get you know potential clients who come to me and say hey i'm being bullied at work because of my weight the weight isn't a protected characteristic. So this employee is dealing with this kind of intentional malicious behavior at work, but they don't, they don't have any evidence that it's related to a protected characteristic. Mm -hmm. So they have no cause of action in court. And a lot of employers, what they're doing is that these employees are going to HR and they're saying, I'm being bullied and HR is turning around and saying, well, that's not a protected characteristic. So we can't do anything about it. 
right? And so now employees are like, well, I'm not even going to bother. Why am I going to even report this behavior? And so I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging everybody that I train and people that I'm trying to send this message is like, no, we don't want to wait till it gets to actionable harassment. We want to start dealing with the behaviors at, that are like rude or just insensitive comments that who cares if it's tied to a protected character or not, because we want to nip it in the bud right at the bottom. So we don't even have to get to that point. Yeah. If we don't, it's going to continue. And then the whole unconscious bias piece, you know, employers need to have training on this because I, I seriously went back and looked at a lot of the cases that I, I litigated and I, I questioned about whether HR or the managers were trained with unconscious bias training, whether they would have handled that scenario differently um, right. and, and, and try to sort of, I think we want to make, look for ways to salvage the relationship rather than dividing people in the workplace. And I think right now employees are left feeling, well, I don't have anybody. I can't go to my employer because they don't take these issues into consideration. Right. And I, I love how it really is, what you're doing is really prevention. It's preventative. You're saying, hey, let's work on the preventative measures so that we don't have to confront these issues quite as much. Let's do something about it before we get to the emergency. Exactly, exactly. Right? You so, stop putting band-aids on things, you know. It's, it's right. like, stop, the training, it, it, it never made sense to me. I mean, I've been, you know, dealing with sexual harassment cases for a long time and it never made sense to me. It's like, wait, why are, why are we only requiring sexual harassment training? What about training because of whatever, the color of your hair, you're being harassed at work. What does it matter about, what about race, national right. origin? All of these, we're, not, we're not requiring employers train on any other protected category besides sexual harassment. So what are employers doing? I mean, it's wrong. I fault the employers for, for doing that, but they're only doing what's legally required. Well, obviously that's not going to fix this problem. Right. It's not. Exactly. It's a core problem. And the, the <laughs> problem isn't just sexual harassment. The core problem are your values, as well as, like you said, your unconscious biases. And we all have them. Uh, we all have Absolutely. them. We all have yeah. them. So how do we bring awareness to what this means? And how then how folks and entities, organizations can identify what those are and then do the preventative work. Right. Exactly. And and you know the problem, the other piece of it, and I and I just like I posted something about this on LinkedIn today, is that there's this huge problem because you know, organizations we want, I mean, the goal is to get people so that they feel comfortable raising these issues when they're happening, right. rather than you know, being afraid of it. But then when, you know, then when it, when the, when they do, oftentimes companies, you know, I, like the institutional betrayals, you know, it's like they speak out against it right. and then they feel that the, now the company's betraying me and then now they feel more victimized. So we want to replace that. So we don't want people to feel that they're going to, or fear that the organization is going to betray them. We want the organization to give employees courage to do right. that, right? And and so if employees get feel that they're going to be supported, then it has to be part of just really the core values, like you said, of the organization. And management has to demonstrate that and has to be the leaders in sort of, you know, being the role models for this throughout mm -hmm. every layer of the organization, not just at the top, but every even frontline supervisors Absolutely. need to know how to deal with these situations. 
Absolutely. I love everything you're saying. It's so intriguing. It's so stimulating. I can see why this is so interesting for you and why this is a passion because there's so many questions that I, I could have, I have, you know, that we could, we could be on here for hours. <laughs> I know. You know? <laughs> and it's hard too because when you, when you're, you know, when I'm doing this training or if I'm training or if I'm doing a public speaking or I'm doing a podcast like this, you can see that it, it, it's an area that it's, all of us can relate to this because we can all understand the whole picture, but for whatever reason, it's not playing out like that. And, and I think it's because we need to start thinking about the whole problem differently and, and addressing it differently and not just be lip service. You know, it's not about lip service. We, we got to get past that. Right, exactly. And, and like you said, there's other factors involved. There's fear, there's fear of retaliation, there's cultural fear, there's, you know, are you going to be part of the club still if you report this or if you're a whistleblower of sorts, you know, there should be some protective factors. And again, it comes down to, it's not just about sexual harassment, it's about many things, but it's about values. It's about beliefs in this organization and, and modeling. So there's so many things to address here that it's like, okay, where do you begin? But I think that you have such an interesting job and you're, you're beginning somewhere and you're going into these organizations and companies and, and you're actually giving them a roadmap to say, hey, there's ways to work on prevention and there's also ways to work on addressing. And I think that's so important. So thank you. I, I think like what you're doing too, you know, by having this podcast and allowing us to be able to voice our opinions. Thank you so much, Summer. I mean, I, I think the more that we can do to get these kind of messages out there, um, you know, again, it's, it's a collective responsibility. We all got to be part of this solution. So thank you again for allowing me to kind of share my, my views on these issues. I think the more that we can do that, the more we can all kind of get on the same page about this issue. Oh, well, thank you so much. Now, my last question for you is, if you were to leave the listeners with some words of wisdom, what would they be? When I, when I talk about what I do, I think anybody that listens to this podcast can hear that my passion is really kind of what's guiding me. And, and I think that we all need to be a part of this. You know, like I've gone through a lot of, you know, negative situations, you know, like we talked about today, and I'm able to take those situations and use that in a positive way to help other people. And I think that we need more people to kind of just take a look at the good and the bad and then find positive in, in that and take that to help other people. And we, we all need to kind of realize that we're in this together. It's not going to just take one person. I'm, I'm just a small piece of this big problem that I'm trying to help fix. And I, I hope that more people will after, especially after hearing this and, and just knowing where we are, get to be, get on board with this so we can actually create an environment where we all want to work and live and live, you know, stop drawing these lines. Like, okay, I'm going to behave this way when I'm on hours or when I'm at work and I'm going to behave a different way when I'm on my own. No, let's stop drawing these lines and really kind of look at it as one solution to fix this entire problem. Right. And there's got to be some congruence both in yeah. how you live and how you work. And, and I love that. I love your word, words of wisdom. Thank you so much, Sejal, for, for joining me today on the Core Women podcast. Thank you very much, Summer. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. If you'd like to know more about Sejal Thacker, please connect with her by going to her website at Train Extra, which is T-R-A-I-N-X-T-R-A dot com. 
If you need a strategic empowerment coach, contact me. If you want to tell your story of empowerment or how you have reconstructed your life to drive change, send me a video or an email of your story providing permission to use it on my social media platforms. If you want to be featured on my podcast, reach out to me at info at corewomen.com. I want to hear from you and to get to know you. You are now part of the Core Women home. Let's get to know each other. Let's learn from one another. Please follow Core Women on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Please let your women friends know about this podcast. If you write about Core Women in your social media posts, please hashtag Core Women. This is all about women. Thank you for taking the time to learn more about Core Women, and please stay tuned for continued growth of the Core Women movement. Let's grow and drive change together. 